I first met Wes Turrell early in 2001 when he and his family moved to Dubbo from the coast. And we met at a men's Bible study group. We got on pretty good right from the start. And after I was introduced to Wes, we had a good chat. And I found out that his wife was Mary Lynn and they had three daughters, Kate, Brianna and Laura. And I discovered that Mary Lynn was a sister to Alinda Shearman, who was married to Rob Shearman, then the principal at Dubbo Christian School. Also, Wes had actually spent a part of his youth in Dubbo, where his father was a school principal. In fact, Wes's agriculture teacher at Dubbo High School was Trevor Gilbert. Now, Trevor and his family were previously a part of our DPC morning church, <coughs> and Trevor happened to be leading the men's Bible study group. Wes and Mary Lynn had been managing Christian campsites and conference centres for a number of years before moving to Dubbo. And I found out a heap of really interesting things about Wes just by spending some time talking to him. I found out who he is and what he does. I wonder if you ever think about what it'd be like to know God and who God really is and what he does. Well, in chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus, the Bible tells us a lot about God and what he intends to do to save his people. Let's pray before we have a look at that, eh? Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, open our, our minds and our hearts this morning as we, we look at it in detail. And Lord, help us this morning to understand who you really are. Amen. Righto, keep your Bibles open at Exodus chapter 3 and uh, use the outline in your bulletin to, to keep up. Remember from Exodus chapter 2 last week how we were introduced to Moses. He was born into the desperate situation in Egypt where all Israelite boy babies were to be killed. But Moses was spared this fate and he was taken by Pharaoh's daughter and brought up in the palace. After growing up in Pharaoh's household, at the age of 40, Moses goes out to the Israelites, his own people. He kills an Egyptian who he sees beating one of the Israelites. Moses then flees from his people and also the household where he was raised and becomes a refugee in a foreign land. He lived in the land of Midian as a shepherd for about 40 years before God called him into action. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now Moses had been living with his sheep in the desert for a long time, which would have been a tough but largely uneventful existence. So a bush on fire that didn't actually burn up would have created a bit of interest. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Well, God had certainly got Moses' attention. So he now introduced himself. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Wow, what an introduction. 
There is no one else who has ever been or who ever will be that can introduce themselves as God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Imagine the impact on Moses. This was God, the God, and he was talking to him. Imagine how Moses trembled with awe and fear at the presence of the Lord. He was in the presence of the holy God. But God had not appeared to Moses for a quiet chat. He then outlines his rescue plan for his people. In verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So here it is. God's rescue plan for his people. His plan to fulfill the covenant he made with Abraham that we heard about last week, back in Genesis chapter 12, when he said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Then God reveals his reason for talking to Moses. Moses is to become the leader of God's people. Verse 10, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. But Moses has doubts and he says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? But God reassures him and God said, I will be with you. However, Moses is still not keen. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now this... This is where God confirms his identity and authority to Moses. In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you asked to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. What we learn here is God's personal name, his identity. Look at verse 15 and note that the word Lord is written in capital letters. This is the translation of the word Yahweh, God's name. And that is how we are to know him, by his name, Yahweh. So in your Bibles, get used to reading the Lord in capital letters as Yahweh, God's personal name. Think about the name Wesley. That's how Wes Turrell introduced himself to me, and that's how he wanted me to know him. And by telling me the details of his family, his extended family, the things he'd done in the past, his church background, his interest, his work, I could know who he really was. And we could develop a good relationship from there on. In Exodus 3, God not only reveals himself to Moses, but we get to know who he really is in person. We already know from the book of Genesis that he is the God of creation, the God who caused the great flood, the God who scattered the people from the Tower of Babel, and the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. But we now get to know how he wants us to know him. We get to know God by name. Yahweh, the Lord. This is my name forever, 
the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Yahweh now confirms his rescue plan for his people under Moses' leadership, giving him some clear instructions and telling him what will happen. He tells Moses what to say to the elders of Israel and to Pharaoh. He tells Moses that the elders will listen to him, but Pharaoh will not. He tells Moses that he, God, will strike the Egyptians and after that, Pharaoh will let the Israelites go. He even tells Moses how his people will plunder the Egyptians as they are rescued. So God has revealed who he is to Moses and explained what he is about to do for his people. Let's go to point two on your outline. God has outlined a mighty plan to rescue his people, but Moses still had some doubts. Go to chapter 4 now, verse 1. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Remember, Moses had been in the desert in a foreign land for 40 years. And before that, he'd been brought up in Pharaoh's palace. So he really was a bit of a stranger to his people. This was going to be a tough call for Moses to convince the Israelites that their God had sent him to lead them out of their desperate situation. So God shows his power to Moses. Chapter 4, verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then, just to make sure Moses got the message, in verse 6, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. We can see, as Moses clearly could, that God is a God of mighty and miraculous power. God again shows who he is and how he will rescue his people. But Moses isn't yet convinced. He's not quite up to committing himself at this stage. Let's move on to point three. Perhaps Moses is hesitant because God's rescue plan is such a big plan. It's huge. It's monumental. And Moses must gain the confidence of his own people and then take on the king of Egypt. Not an easy task, I suggest. So Moses is looking for excuses. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. But God reminds Moses of who he is. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and tell you what to say. But Moses still wants to pike it. Verse 13, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Now we know that Moses is really making pathetic excuses here because Acts chapter 7 tells us that Moses was brought up in Pharaoh's house 
and was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So God was not impressed. In verse 13, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses because this was his plan to rescue his people and Moses was trying to back out of his role as leader and spokesman for them. As we learnt last week, God remembered his covenant with his people. He would keep his promise. So God then assures Moses that he will help him with this task by sending his brother Aaron to help and that he would help both of them to speak and will teach them what to do. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. Let's think about ourselves for a minute. What about you? Are you like Moses? Do you shy away from doing God's work just because you think you won't be able to? Now, we're not Moses, of course, and we're not commanded to go to speak to the king of Egypt. But we are commanded by God to tell people about Jesus and to look after one another. Do you give Sunday school a miss because you think you wouldn't be able to do it? Do you avoid telling your unsaved friends and family about the gospel because you think you wouldn't be able to do it properly? That you won't be able to find the right words to say? Do you avoid visiting people in our church family who are crook or having a tough time? just because you think you wouldn't know the right things to say. What are you currently making excuses about? Well, God assured Moses that he would help him and his brother Aaron in the job he had for them to do. In verse 15, God said, I will help both of you speak and I will teach you what to do. And Jesus also told his disciples when they were going out to spread the gospel not to worry about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Just like God was preparing Moses to do a mighty work for his people in Egypt, and Jesus was preparing his disciples to do his work, God will give you and I the means to do his work here and now. God lets us know that he will be with his people as he works out his plans. Go to point four now. So Moses obeys God, gathers up his wife, Zipporah, and her two sons, and heads back to Egypt. But on the way, a strange thing happens. Go down to verse 24 in chapter 4. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Now, this might seem a bit odd. God has chosen Moses to be the leader of his people. But just when Moses comes on side and begins to cooperate with God's plan, it looks like God will kill him. Remember how last week we learnt that God remembers the covenant he makes with his people and takes them very seriously. Perhaps we need to have a quick look at Genesis chapter 17, to understand the significance of this part of the passage. So just flick back a few pages in your Bible, back to Genesis chapter 17. 
It's a good thing when you start the second book of the Bible, you don't have far to go back to the start. Chapter 17, verse 9. Here we've got God explaining the covenant he is making with his people. And he says to Abraham, in verse 9, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between you, me, and you. Remember, Moses had been living in a foreign land away from God's people for 40 years. He had married a Midianite woman and had two sons. It appears that he had not followed the covenant of circumcision that God had made with his people to set them apart. If this is the reason why God would have him would have killed him, it makes God's covenants very serious business indeed. God has remembered his covenant and he wants his people to remember it as well. Again, God reaffirms his relationship with his people and how they are to know him. Righto, point five. So we've seen that God is a powerful God who relates to his people, is concerned about them and will keep his promises to them. We also see that God is not to be taken lightly. God, Yahweh, the Lord, is a God who knows his people and wants his people to know him. God revealed himself to Moses, but he has also revealed himself to us. Moses saw God in the burning bush, but we see God revealed in his son, Jesus Christ, when God became man and lived on earth. We can start to know Jesus through John's Gospel, which tells us about Jesus and his life, how he came to fulfil God's plan. So now turn your Bibles forward up to John, please. Chapter 12. And then keep that open because we'll get to have a look at some important verses in there in a little while. So John chapter 12. John tells us that those who lived in Jesus' time could get up close and personal with God the man. They could walk and talk and eat and work with Jesus as he grew up and carried out his ministry. They could know who he really was. And they could listen to him explain what he had been sent to do to fulfil God's plan for his people. In Exodus, God had revealed his plan to rescue Israel from slavery in Egypt. Now Jesus has revealed God's plan to rescue us from sin. He tells us very clearly through these familiar verses a little bit earlier in John, in chapter 3, verse 16, that we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Through him. God fulfills his plan of salvation through Jesus. Jesus was God's plan to bring his people to him so that they could be saved. This is the great rescue plan for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, and so would need great power and authority to carry it out. Throughout the period of his ministry, Jesus constantly showed who he was through his power and authority. 
He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He calmed the storm. As well as that, we know he performed miracles of all sorts. Healing the sick and lame, bringing the dead back to life, driving out demons to show his true identity. And Jesus not only showed great power in the things that he did, but he spoke and preached powerfully. Matthew tells us after the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Jesus showed through all of the things he did and said that he had the power and authority to carry out God's plan. He also made it clear that he had been sent by God. So just go now to chapter 12 where you've got your finger in. And verse 44. Jesus said, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. Again, Jesus revealed himself and confirmed that he was fulfilling God's plan. Just down a bit to verse 49. For I do not speak of my accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus is the Saviour sent by God to rescue his people. And he warns us not to ignore or reject him. Just go back up a bit to verse 47, where Jesus says, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him in the last day. God revealed himself to Moses, and we got to know who he really is in person. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of creation, the God who caused the great flood, the God who scattered the people from the Tower of Babel, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Jesus revealed that God is a God of plan and purpose, a God of salvation, but also a God of judgment. Jesus came to show us that God wants us to come to him, to be saved from judgment, rescued from our slavery to sin. So let me ask you, where do you stand with Jesus? Do you know him? You might know about him, but do you really know him personally? Well, you can. You can know him today because he wants you to come to him and to know him. Just like I know Wes Turrell and can talk to him and spend time with him, You can know Jesus if you accept that he is the saviour that God has sent to bring us back to him. You can talk to Jesus and spend time with him today. Please don't ignore God and don't ignore the saviour that he sent to us. Because as he said in John 12.48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him in the last day. Father, thank you for the, um, the great 
encouragement from today's passage that we can know you. Father, that we can know you because you have chosen to make yourself known. Thank you that you chose to make yourself known to the nation of Israel and that that didn't just mean teaching them some things about you but actually introducing yourself to them by saving them. And Father, thank you that in Jesus you introduce yourself to us so clearly. Father, thank you that in the Bible it's not just like reading a biography about someone where we get to know about them. But thank you that you actually invite us to know you. And Father, thank you that to know you is to, to, to have life. Thank you that to know you is to be forgiven. Thank you that to know your son Jesus is to know you and to know the God who created us. And so, Father, we pray for each one of us here at Morning Church that we wouldn't just be people that know about Jesus, that we wouldn't just be people who want to learn lots of things about him and be able to quote Bible passages about him. But, Father, we pray that we would know him. Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might know you. We pray that you might open our hearts that we might more fully, deeply know the love that you have for us in Jesus. And Father, thank you that as we come to know you, we will see that you are the true and living God who keeps his promises and who saves. And um, we pray that until Jesus returns, each day of our life might be a day of knowing you better and more intimately. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.